Amen. You may be seated. Uh, good morning, everyone. My name is Alex. I serve as one of the pastors here. Um, as, how often, I have a question for us this morning. Uh, how often do you process what you spend your time or money on? No, it's not a giving sermon today, obviously. You can tell by the text. Uh, how often do you process what you give your time or your money to? Mariah, my wife and I, who just read scripture, we uh, joke around with each other and we make fun of each other quite a bit. Uh, that's just uh, the nature of our friendship and relationship together, which I love. Uh, and something that uh, she tends to make fun of me for is what I spend my time and my money on, uh, my fun money in our budget. And so uh, if you were to ask me, hey, Alex, we should go to, some concert this night. Say there's a concert on Friday and it's like, I don't know, Eric Church or something. And if you asked me to go, I'd be like, oh, cool. Uh, how much is it? Like, what are the tickets cost? You were, and if you said, oh, they're on sale. I got you a sweet deal. It's like a hundred bucks. We're going to be front and center. I'd be like, hmm, hundred bucks. Sounds like a lot of money. I don't think so. Probably not. But if you told me that Home Depot was having a sale on lawnmowers, <laughs> I'd be driving down to Home Depot to go get like a nice, you know, 22-inch or 30-inch deck for the mower and just being able to, you know, I love working on my yard. And so my wife will make fun of me for that sometimes or um, just different things. And so all of us have different things where we kind of sit there and we go, hey, we calculate in our brains, whether it's instant or whether we actually think about it, we wonder, what's it worth? What, what's it actually worth? Is it worth my time to spend the time significantly to go and do uh, that thing, whether it's serving or participating in something? Or is it worth my money to invest in and actually spend and to walk towards that? And, and we all have these things where we consider it. And maybe for you, it's like clothes. You love shopping. You love spending money on clothes. That's totally your thing. But if uh, someone asks you to go eat out and have dinner at a restaurant, you might be like, oh, I hate spending money on eating out. I'd rather just cook the groceries. Uh, or maybe you're thinking, oh yeah, I'd love to go camping, so I'm going to spend a whole weekend camping outside in the woods, sleeping on a pile of dirt for some reason, and that's just your thing. But if you were like, oh wow, 4K TV that I could watch awesome football games on, not spending money on that, because you don't think it's worth it. We all have these different things that we kind of reference and we think, whether subconsciously or consciously, that we believe they're worth it. We clearly believe they're worth it. And so this morning in Matthew 10, Jesus instructs the disciples about persecution to come. He tells them, this is the cost of following me. And as he talks to them, he tells them this cost of persecution and that this is going to happen the rest of their lives. And he's calling them to see and understand that he is worth the price of persecution. And he's calling us today to that very same thing. So let's go back to Matthew chapter 10 so that we could ask ourselves that very question, do we believe Jesus is worth it? So Matthew chapter 10, starting in verse 16. It says this, look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be as shrewd as serpents and innocent as doves. Beware of them because they will hand you over to the local courts and flog you in their synagogues. You'll even uh, be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they hand you over, don't worry about how or what you are to speak. For you will be given what to say at that hour, because it isn't you speaking, but the spirit of your father is speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and father his child. Children will rise up against their parents and have to put them to death. You will be hated by everyone because of my name. 
but the one who endures to the end will be saved. When they persecute you in one town, flee to another, for I truly tell you, you will not have gone through the towns of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It is enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. If they called the head of the house Beelzebul, how much more will the members of his household? And I'm going to give myself a little bit of props because I said Beelzebul correctly. I did not the last gathering. I put an extra B on it for some reason. I always do that. But anyway, the first point we see is uh, the price of proclamation. So we covered last week how Jesus is sending out the disciples, right? He commissions them to go out. And we kind of read that in the first section of chapter 10. And as he's teaching them, hey, you're going to go. You're going to proclaim the kingdom of God to these people. And I'm sending you out specifically to Israel, right? In verse uh, 6, he says, instead, go to the lost sheep of Israel, the house of Israel. So as we kind of read those first uh, 15 or so verses, we kind of look and read them. And what Jesus is doing in that moment, essentially, is he's sending them like on a short-term mission trip. But as we look at the second half of chapter 10, verses 16 and onward, we start to see, hey, this is something that's going to be for the rest of their lives. We know that because... As we look at the Great Commission and we start examining and reading Scripture, we see, hey, Jesus is sending us to the rest of the nations. He's sending the disciples to the rest of the nations, to the entire earth. Verse 18, if you go and read it, Jesus changes it up. He says, you will even be brought before governors, kings, because of me, to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. So the Gentiles are simply anyone who's not Jewish. Anyone who's not Jewish. So he's saying, hey, before I sent you just to the house of Israel, now I'm sending you to everybody. Any and everyone who can hear about me, I'm sending you to them. And as he's sending them out, he gives them this warning. I'm sending you out as sheep among wolves. Sheep among wolves, and you have to be shrewd and innocent. So he's telling them, you're going to be in danger. But at the same time, he's telling them, be wise and be innocent. Be wise and be innocent as you go because the wolves are going to come after you. So he's not saying, hey, go look for persecution. But he's saying, as you go, as you continue to proclaim the kingdom of God to everyone you kind of see and everyone you run into, and as you're having these conversations, it's going to lead to persecution. But he's not saying, go and make sure and find the per first person who wants to kill you. Um, that's not at all what he's saying, but he's saying, be wise, be innocent, so they can't blame you for something you're not doing. And he gives them a little bit more clarity to this, right? He gives them a list of different enemies that they may have as they're proclaiming the kingdom of God says they're going to be handed over local courts. They're going to be flogged in the synagogues. They're going to be handed over before governors and rulers. They're going to be betrayed even by family, persecuted in towns. Whole communities are going to be trying to get them out of there. Jesus is giving them these warnings of what is to come from their mission as God sends them out. And all of this perse persecution, why does it happen? Because of the proclamation of the kingdom of God. Because of the proclamation of the gospel of Christ and, and the gospel itself, the good news of Jesus, it causes division. It, it offends people. It causes people to second-guess their authority, second-guess their whole lives, right? It, it's true to the point to where they may have a ruler, they may have some authority, they may have some idol that's a part of their life and in their heart, and they're looking to it. And they're saying, man, you're telling me about the kingdom of God. You're telling me about Jesus and how he's the Messiah. That's going to make me actually rewire my entire life. I'm not about that. 
And because they have some other idol, some other ruler, some other king that they're worshiping or they're following or pursuing, that leads them to go, man, these guys are saying something contrary to what is true in our culture and what we're trying to cultivate and what we're doing. And so it leads to the division. It leads to the persecution. And it starts to just move towards this movement of just craziness starting to happen in the life of the disciples. And as we kind of look at this, there Everyone who's offended by the gospel, everyone who's offended by the kingdom of God, they start to move towards actually hating the people, handing them over to prison, uh, betraying them, persecuting them, beating them, all these different things. And, And it's all different kinds of people. It's not just a certain people group that's doing this. It's city leaders, religious leaders, government leaders, family, whole communities. This happens all because the disciples are starting to look like Jesus. They're starting to actually act like Jesus. In verses 24 and 25, Jesus says he's teaching them. He says, a disciple is not above his teacher or a slave above his master. It's enough for a disciple to become like his teacher and a slave like his master. And so we see that as, as the disciples are walking with Christ, they start to look more like Christ. They, they, he, they start to hear his teachings. They start to obey his teachings. They start to understand what God's actually doing. And he's changing their life. And because he's like them, everyone who hates him is also going to hate them. If you think about it for a quick second, when you hang out with somebody, when you maybe get a new friend or something and you start spending a ton of time together, you start to pick up on some of their mannerisms. They start picking up on yours. You start building this relationship where you start to kind of look like each other a little bit more. And people who are irritated by some of the things that you may be picking up or doing or you might be new in your life, they're, they're also going to be irritated by their. It's just this whole thing that as we change, as we're transformed, and as we personally walk with Jesus day in and day out, God transforms us by the power of the Spirit, right? We're renewed. We're continually conformed into the image of Christ. And so everybody who hates Jesus is also going to hate the disciples. Is going to hate us. And that's what Jesus is trying to... Uh, point to, because if you look at chapter 9, verse 34, Jesus has been casting out demons. He's healing the death. He's raising the dead. He's uh, healing diseases. He's proclaiming the kingdom of God. He's teaching. And the religious leaders, they start to get really annoyed with him. They get frustrated with what's going on and how Jesus is teaching the kingdom of God. In chapter 9, verse 34, it says, but the Pharisees said he drives out demons by the ruler of demons. So they start manipulating what what Jesus is actually doing. And, he, and they're starting to teach everybody else, hey, those people, they're not actually teaching something good. So Jesus is showing, that's what they said about me. It's exactly what they're going to say about you too. Why? Because you look like me. You're following me. You're a disciple of mine, and we're living this life together. And in the middle of all of this, as he's telling them this persecution, Jesus gets into what we see in verse 18. He says, you will even be brought before governors, kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. So as you kind of consider and think through this, they're hearing about this persecution. They're hearing about all this stuff that's going to come their way. And as I read this and spent some time in this, I'm like, man, all, all of this life-changing experience that's happening because they're walking with Christ is transforming them, and it's also leading them to be put in places that they never would have been before. But he's telling them, you're going to be put before kings, rulers, governors because of me. These disciples were just lowly fishermen. 
they never would have been able to stand before a ruler, a king, or a governor, or, or like the, the whole uh, council of the, Jew, uh, the Jew, Jewish leaders. Uh, and here Jesus is saying, you get to witness to them because of me. You get to tell them that the kingdom of God is coming. You get to tell them that the Messiah has arrived. You get to tell them that the whole world is being transformed because of what God has done. Israel has been waiting for the promised Messiah to come. Israel's been, Israel has been waiting for Genesis chapter 12 where God tells Moses, hey, I, I'm going to make you a numerous people and you're also going to be a blessing to the nations. And now Jesus is telling the disciples, you get to be that blessing to the nations because you get to tell them about who I am. You get to tell them that the Messiah has arrived. And so as they're walking through this whole thing, Jesus is telling them the, the persecution. He's giving them the warnings. He's telling them the, the hard facts to hear. But at the same time, he's also encouraging them with the truth. You're going to stand before kings and rulers who you've never stood of before. Now, I can imagine being like a fisherman, right? Back ancient Israel and thinking through those times and going, okay, my job my whole life has just been a fisherman. A lot, a lot of people really hang out with me or enjoy spending time with me. And now I'm standing before kings and rulers, authority. People have so much more power than I do. I'd be shaken in my boots that whole time. I'd be kind of scared to have to stand before those guys and they're kind of asking me, hey, why, why are you talking about this Jesus guy? Why are people, masses of people kind of following you guys? Why do you keep proclaiming that the Messiah has come? And in their brains, they might be thinking in the back of their minds, these people could literally kill me. They could imprison me for the rest of my life. They could do all of this. And yet they have the courage to continue to go forward because Jesus is commanding them and reminding them, hey, you get to be a blessing to the Gentiles in this way. And then as you kind of keep reading through this whole section, Jesus is telling them of, of what's going to happen in the division to come and the hatred that they're going to experience and the persecution that's coming. And in verse 22, he says, you're going to be hated by everyone because of me, but the one who endures to the end will be saved. The one who endures till the end will be saved. So as we read that, we can get a little confused maybe because we're thinking, I thought our salvation was by grace alone. I thought Jesus said, hey, if we trust in him and believe in him and have faith in him, then we're saved. How, how does this verse then work with that? How is that true? Well, Scripture can, continues to help us interpret Scripture, right? As we try to figure out what this exactly means to try and understand it best, we can look to other Scriptures that kind of talk about endurance. We can look to other Scriptures that talk about sufferings and what it does in our life. And Romans chapter 12, right? Be patient in tribulation. Hebrews chapter 10. You've endured hard struggle with suffering since you knew that you yourself had a better possession and and an abiding one. So as they kind of hear Jesus talk about this, he's telling them to endure the hard things that are going to happen. And when they endure, it's because they know what's on the other side. They know that they can look forward to the hope of the restored kingdom, that their soul is in Jesus's hands, that they've had salvation in Christ and Christ alone. And that salvation is what continues to propel them forward. Now for us today, as we kind of start thinking about this and seeing these verses and wondering, hey, how 
why would, how can they endure? How does that make sense together? The price of the proclamation of the gospel to the disciples was completely worth it. They believed it was worth, that Jesus was worth proclaiming who he is, what he's done, how he's changed their life to the end, and to the end of their life. They endured to the point of salvation, right? And so we here today, as we have this same conversation, as we're looking at this, if we're completely honest, we have it pretty good. Like, we get to stand in this room. You guys are literally sitting in a room today where you get to sing songs about Jesus, where you get to hang out with other Christians. You get to hear from the Bible. You can have a Bible in your own hand. You can walk outside of this building and have a conversation about Jesus in public. You can talk to the waitress or waiter at lunch about Jesus, and no one's stoning you to death for it. Like, we have it made really well here in South Lincoln. We, we have an amazing grace that a lot of our brothers and sisters in the faith who are across the globe who are hiding because of, because of persecution, who, who maybe have to sit in basements together to read scripture and actually uh, participate in the faith together. We have brothers and sisters who are being persecuted, flogged, beaten, scorned, and mocked because of their faith. So we have it pretty good. So as we look at this scripture and we kind of try to see and go, okay, how does this apply to us today? How does this really sort out in our life? Because I, I really don't have to worry so much about going to jail for talking about my faith. Like, I was just at Bagels and Joe two weeks ago where I was having a conversation with a lady over the counter who's serving me. She's telling me about her life and how hard stuff is happening, and I got to share the gospel with her in the middle of all of that. I had to have a real conversation. And the whole time, I did not have to worry about the person who was standing behind me in line was going to report me to the police, and I'd have to go to jail for it. Like, we have freedom in, in this, this this amazing grace that we have that we get to live here in South Lincoln and not have to worry about that stuff. But when we hear and read about enduring to the point of salvation, it, it also makes us kind of see the scripture and go, man, Jesus is telling us that the Christian life is not supposed to be comfortable. Like he's telling us that our life, there should be some rub. There should be some times where I'm trying to have a conversation with someone and, and there's like weird kind of just unthinkable like tension in the room because as I'm proclaiming Christ, they may not believe in Jesus and, and they may oppose Jesus. They may oppose me because of that conversation. And so as we talk about enduring, we have an amazing grace that we get to look at that in verse uh, 18 where Jesus says, you will be brought before the governors, kings because of me to bear witness. Another word to translate witness is testimony. So as we think of our testimony, our life, we get to share that with people who don't know Christ. And if we're never actually sharing about Christ, then we're not actually really having moments where we have to endure, right? There's those moments where we don't have to actually push past some certain things. So if we think of our own life, if you can examine yourself for a moment and you kind of think, man, I don't know that I've ever felt uncomfortable in my Christian faith, that means you might not actually be walking with Jesus, I know that's really hard news to hear, but the reality is that our faith should push us towards being uncomfortable. 
whether it's giving our time to serving uh, and saying, hey, I'm going to be uncomfortable to serve in a certain way, whether it's having gospel conversations and saying, I may not have all of the answers, I may not know what to say, but I want to tell this person about Jesus, and so I'm going to step forward and do that. Or it might be about whatever we do with our finances or our life and our time and how we lead our, our families and our friends and have those conversations. Like, all of that, our entire life is shaped by the good news of Jesus Christ, and if we're not moved to being uncomfortable ever, maybe we're not actually walking with Jesus. There's constant different times in my life where I'm like, man, okay, I could choose comfort over Jesus. I could choose an extra half hour to sleep in rather than trying to wake up a little bit earlier so I can spend some time in scripture with the God, with God himself. I could choose selfishness in myself some different times, and I do, I'll just be honest, I do, where I can sit on the couch and just sit on my phone rather than sacrificing my life, even though I'm tired, to get up and serve my wife and my daughter. Like, there's different things in our life where we have to be uncomfortable. I could sacrifice comfort in the middle of that bagels and Joe and say, man, this lady, I can tell she's having a hard time, but I'm just not going to tell her about Jesus and try to comfort her in this moment, right? But God's calling us to live an uncomfortable life. We may not experience persecution, but Jesus is worth the price of persecution. Jesus is worth the price of proclamation. And, and we can have comfort that God's not just calling us to it. Like if, if we look at the life of the disciples and we fast forward a little bit, a couple of years, we go to Acts chapter 4, Peter and John are proclaiming Jesus, and then they get brought before the Jewish authorities. Acts chapter 5, Peter and John are thrown in jail. Acts chapter 7, a guy named Stephen was stoned to death for proclaiming Jesus. Acts chapter 12, James is literally killed. Peter's arrested again. And then the whole second half of the book of Acts is the Apostle Paul. He's going from town to town to town, and he's leaving different places because there's different riots. He's being persecuted. One place stoned him, uh, and then his people had to come and get him, and God brought him back to life. Really cool thing that happens. And we see that the life of the disciples was clearly one that they said, Jesus is worth it at all costs. He is worthy of the proclamation. He's worthy of the price of persecution. And so as we look at these passages, we may not have physical persecution that's actually happening to us today, but we still have opportunities to proclaim Christ. We still have opportunities to get uncomfortable for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of the kingdom of God. And that's what God is calling us to today. That the price of, of persecution, the price of proclamation is totally worth it. And so I know sometimes as we go to have gospel conversations with people, as we go to talk to people about Jesus and what he's done in our life, there can be some rub. There can be like awkwardness where you're kind of like, ah, man, I don't really know how to answer every question. Neither do I. Nobody does. Nobody has an answer to all the questions except for God himself. And so as we're wrestling with that, we can kind of think, man, but the disciples, they're kind of experts. Like they knew what they were doing. They, they, they walked with Jesus. They were hanging out with him. Like they clearly knew what they were doing, Alex. I don't know that God's calling us to do exactly what they were doing. Acts chapter 4, when Peter and John are before the Jewish authorities, the scripture tells us that they were uneducated men who had been with Jesus. That's how they're described. Average Joes. People who just hung out with Jesus. And you might think, yeah, they spent three, lot, three years with Jesus. They spent their lives with him. Of course they're going to know what to say. Of course they're going to have courage to go out. Of course they're going to continue on to the ends of the earth proclaiming Christ. Friends, 
You have the spirit of the living God in you. Like, they may have had the physical Jesus with them for a couple of years. You have God in you. The spirit of God himself dwells within his people. And that's the encouragement for us today to see that the proclamation of Christ is totally worth it. That we can endure some of these things that we might go through. We can get a little bit uncomfortable. We can uh, sacrifice our lives for the price of having conversations with Jesus himself. And if we're sitting here and we're kind of looking at all this persecution and looking at all this time and all this stuff, and I sit there, and, and I know there's kind of times where things may feel a little bit more heated politically or whatever it might be. And if we think, man, if someone to, was to come in and an oppressive government or whatever it was to shut us down completely, and we're sitting there, we go, yeah, I'm going to stand for Jesus at that point. But I won't have a conversation with my neighbor or invite him over so that I can have a conversation about Jesus. It, that's, a, that's something that to wrestle with. That's tension in the room for us ourselves today. If we say we would stand for Christ when it gets really ugly and really bad, but we won't stand for Christ when it comes to having a simple conversation, I don't know that we would actually do the latter. And, and so for us to actually say, man, do we really believe Jesus is worth it? Do we really believe that the cost of the price of actually talking to people at Christ is totally worth it? Well, let's keep reading to see these other warnings that Jesus gives because he keeps giving more. Uh, verse 26, therefore, don't be afraid of them since there is nothing covered that won't be uncovered and nothing hidden that won't be made known. When I tell you in the dark, speak, the, speak in the light. What you hear in a whisper, proclaim to the housetops. Don't fear those who kill the body but are not able to kill the the soul, rather fear him who is able to destroy both the soul and body in hell. Aren't two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet no one, uh, yet not one of them falls to the ground without your father's consent. But even the hairs on your head have all been counted. So don't be afraid. You are worthy. Then you are worth more than the sparrows. Many sparrows. So the second point we see is that we can count our confidence. We can count our confidence. He starts telling the disciples, "Hey, here's what you're facing." persecution. Here's what it might look like. It could get pretty ugly to the point of death. Here's what you're going to see. You're going to be run out of town. Here's what you're going to experience. And then here in this section, he gives them like a big push of encouragement. He encourages them three different times because three times in this paragraph itself or in this section, he says, don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. Don't be afraid. And first he gives them the encouragement. Hey, Proclaim it from the housetops. Speak light into the darkness. Don't be afraid of sharing the gospel in this world. And then the second time, don't be afraid that they could take your life and kill your body. And the last one's just a general encouragement to go back over the entire thing, right? Don't be afraid uh, that you are worth more than many sparrows. And this whole time, Jesus is talking about persecution. And I can imagine, and I even think about it as I read this section if life got really hard, it would be really easy to start doubting God's goodness. If I was taken to jail, beaten, chained, put before uh, just government leaders who were telling me I'm guilty, when I'd done nothing wrong except for talk about Jesus with people, I would sit there in prison and probably slightly for a moment, it would come through my mind, is God really good? I can imagine the disciples were thinking those same sort of things as they were going through all of that. And Jesus here is saying, 
hey, when you're doubting my goodness, when you're doubting what's actually happening, and, and when you're suffering in the middle of persecution, I want you to remember how much I care about you. And he's reminding them, hey, this present time, this life is short. They may be able to kill your physical body, but I have your soul in my hands. I'm the God of the universe who controls all things, who continues to sustain and will keep you, save you, hold you in the palm of my hands. That that is who he is. Their authority, the authority of some to maybe kill you and persecute you here today, is nothing compared to the authority that I have because I'm the king and the savior of the entire world. The second encouragement points to the sparrows. I imagine Stephen, as I think about Stephen in Acts chapter 7, as they're throwing stones at him and he's dying, I imagine him, if he was here at this time, and he heard this conversation of Jesus pointing to the sparrows and saying, hey, this bird is absolutely worth nothing. It's so cheap. It's a penny's worth. It's insignificant. They're easy to buy. They're uh, easy to find. You can possess it, and it's not worth a lot. It's insignificant, and yet the God of the universe knows when it dies. The God of the universe knows that bird. And, And as I'm picturing, you know, Stephen's death or maybe anybody else's as they're being martyred, I imagine a sparrow flying by, or a bird somewhere near, or chirp in the back of their ears. And in the middle of all of that pain and suffering and persecution that they're kind of going through, they're reminded in that moment, oh yeah, Jesus said, I'm, I'm worth more than that sparrow to him. And he knows exactly what's happening in that sparrow's life. Of course he knows what's going on in mine. Of course he's standing with me. Of course I'll be with him in paradise. Of course he's come to save me. Of course I have great times heading forward because of the king of kings. And he's saying, how much more do I love you? He's using that greater uh, or that lesser to greater argument that he uses often. And we have great assurance. We have great confidence in what Jesus has done for us himself. That we can trust that he's worth the price of persecution because he's told us over and over again how much we are worth to him. We're worth to him to the point of his own death. That while our physical death may be temporary, our physical suffering and persecution may be temporary, the things that happen in this life are temporary. There's an eternal that we can look forward to in Christ himself. Death may come, but it is not eternal. It is not victorious. It does not for us. So as we sit here and we think about this section and we think about this passage, it, we try to see, okay, they're experiencing this great hardship. But as we today have hard conversations with maybe family, friends, uh, people in our life that are uh, maybe just divisive towards us in our faith or mock us or uh, maybe want nothing to do with us and have walked away from us or maybe we're just going through suffering and trial and error in this time, we can remember to think about the sparrows, to think about the birds, to think about how much... God actually cares for us. We, we've got a bird feeder in our front yard on the tree, and I think it was yesterday, there were two little yellow finches on it. They were really pretty little tiny birds, and I'm sitting there, I'm like, oh, those are really pretty. And as I'm processing that even today and thinking about those two little birds, I'm like, man, God knows exactly what those birds, like what's happening in those birds' life. He, he knows exactly when they were born and when they're going to die. And yet he can count the hairs on my head. And finds me worth dying and paying the price for. 
Because as we look at this and we think about what Jesus is asking them to do and what he's telling them they're going to walk through, Jesus himself isn't saying, go do something I wouldn't even do myself. But he's saying, I already did all of it for you. And we get to look back on that and be reminded that Jesus was persecuted. Jesus was beaten. He experienced death and he defeated death. In God's amazing victory, we can have confidence in what Jesus has done in whatever life throws at us. Whatever it throws at us, we can be reminded of the fact that there's little sparrows kind of walking around. Or as we see kind of the flowers of the field, I think back to the Sermon on the Mount when Jesus talks about how adorned the flowers of the field are. We can not be anxious and we could not fear and we can look to the amazing grace that we have in Jesus because he came and he died for us so that we could have life eternally with him. So this life may be short, the hardships may be short, but as we look forward to eternity, it's much longer. He is worth it. He is much greater and that's what we get to be encouraged and fueled by. So let's keep reading the other warnings that Jesus gives because he's not done yet. Uh, Verse uh, 32. Therefore, everyone who will acknowledge me before others will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. Don't assume that I came to bring peace on earth, but I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against uh, her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or a daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. And whoever finds his life will lose it. And anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. The one who welcomes you welcomes me. And the one who welcomes me welcomes him who sent me. Anyone who welcomes a prophet because he is a prophet will receive a prophet's reward. Anyone who welcomes a righteous person because he's a righteous, because he's righteous will receive a righteous person's reward. And whoever gives even a cup of cold water to one of these little ones because he is a disciple, truly I tell you, he will never lose his reward. So the final point that we see in the text is that Jesus is worth our welcome. Jesus is worth our welcome. So he begins to discuss acknowledging him before others. He says, everyone who acknowledges me before others, and then I will acknowledge you before the Father. That's the fact that Jesus is just saying. He's laying it out cold. He's, he's saying this great contrast then. Hey, if you deny me, I'll also deny you. It's black and white for Jesus. You follow me or you don't. You deny me or you worship me. You love me or you don't. It's black and white. There's no in between. Even in the book of Revelation, we get this illustration that if we're lukewarm in our faith, that he spits us out. It's clear. Cut clear and dry for Jesus. He's saying this great contrast is right there. No in between. It's either me or nothing. Then he begins to talk about this uh, sword and bringing the sword and didn't come to bring peace on earth. But we know Jesus is also called the Prince of Peace. So how does that even make sense? What does that mean? What is Jesus actually saying? Well, he's referencing Micah chapter 7, right? Micah chapter 7 is the scripture that's referenced here from the Old Testament. If you go back and you read Micah, he's a prophet who was speaking to Israel and he was actually lamenting over what was going on in Israel. He was lamenting over the people because the people were so corrupted that the only good thing that they were doing 
the only thing that they could do well, I guess I should say that because it's not good. The only thing that they could do well is sin. And so as he's looking at the moral downfall of Israel, he's lamenting over it and saying, man, these people are so corrupted that they're killing each other as family. These people are so corrupted that they're doing whatever they can for themselves, and it's so ugly. And so Jesus is referencing this scripture because he's pointing to the state of our fallen world today. He's pointing to our world and how we are all so corrupted, so against anything that has to do with God, that uh, when we talk about Jesus with people or even we are confronted with like the scripture or the spirit moving in our heart, we, we want to just go away and we want to continue towards self. We want to elevate ourselves. We want to continue towards our idols. We want to worship what we want to worship. And he's warning the disciples here, hey, if you follow me, there will be division. It might be division in your family. And I'm telling you to choose me over them. It could potentially lead to you losing your family. And I'm telling you to choose me over them. He's emphasizing for all of them who are listening to choose him over everything else. Now to Israel, the family bloodline, huge deal. Huge deal. They would live together for many years. It it mattered a lot to them who was in their family, what their genealogy was. Everything mattered to them in terms of their family relationships. And Jesus is here telling them up front, you need to choose me over them. Remember the great contrast he has at the beginning, right? Whoever denies me before others, I will also deny him before my Father in heaven. And for us here in the Midwest, Nebraska, right? We have those family ties. Like, we have great family relationships. We, we love our families. We love staying close to our families. And, it, and it, a lot of us even move, you know, move away for school or something, but then typically tend to go back closer to home so we can continue to be around families. We like spending our weekends with our families. And, and all of that comes together. And here Jesus is also telling us, choose me over them. It might lead to some division might lead to some divisiveness. Your family is also something he's calling you to sacrifice. Jesus is supposed to come before our parents, our siblings, our cousins, our spouses. It's not easy. I've personally experienced it. When I I graduated uh, from college and I I got saved shortly after, uh, spent a year uh, serving with the crew ministry, the college ministry on my college campus, and then I got recruited to join staff, and then I went to join staff, and I told my mom as I'm like raising support, because I had to go raise support for a paycheck, and I'm casting vision for, I'm going to pursue college students, I'm going to share the gospel with them, I'm I'm trying to show her exactly what it is I'm going to be doing, and she looks at me and kind of goes, but I just helped you get a college degree. Like, why aren't you going to use that? And I was like, Mom, but like the kingdom of God is at hand. Like, I want to continue to pursue these kids so that they might know Jesus, so that we could see their lives completely changed. You saw how my life has changed in the last four years, right? And, and she's like, yeah, but you have a college degree. That doesn't make sense to me. Like, why? She looked at me like I was a lunatic uh, because she, it, there was this weird barrier. Now, it's not divisiveness to where, like, my mom left me and we're estranged or anything like that, but it, it led to a gap between us because she didn't get it. I was choosing Jesus over, like, a, a good financial paycheck. 
and then when I consider and think about like uh, even when I first came to faith a couple months later uh, I wanted to be baptized and the church was having a big baptism celebration I texted my mom I was like I want all the family to be there right we got sunrise service we're going to have breakfast it's going to be an amazing celebration God's going to continue to do something and I'm hoping I can share the gospel with my whole family at church and I get a text back from my brother and he's like hey you don't need to be baptized again you were baptized as a baby because I was baptized in the Catholic church and I'm sitting there and I'm like no, but now, like, I'm actually, like, following Jesus. I'm choosing Jesus over, you know, something that might be a little embarrassing to talk about my sin over the last several years. And there was a barrier. He didn't get it. He, there, there was something between us to where even now today when we talk about our faith, it, it gets a little weird because uh, I'm Protestant in my faith. And so when we have conversations, there's this weird barrier. And, and what Jesus is saying here is choosing me over your family always putting me before your family. And I'm sitting here, he's not saying don't love your family. He's not saying go out there and just be like, ah, Jesus, so see you later. But we should still pursue him. Like, but as I think about that, I'm sitting here and I'm like, man, that's not easy. That's not easy to do to put Christ before the people that we're physically closest with. Like I think about that with my wife and my daughter and I'm like, I choose them over Jesus a lot already. And she's been born for nine weeks. <laughs> like, uh, and Jesus is continually calling us to put him first, to put him first. And he's saying that for each and every single one of us, right? It may mean an awkward conversation with a friend, a sibling, a spouse, a parent about Jesus. It may mean some awkwardness when it comes to standing up for your relationship with Christ over giving into something they're asking you to do. It may mean you saying, hey, I'm going to sacrifice my life to the point of continually following Christ to the end of my days. And that may mean there's going to be some rub between us. And Jesus is saying, pick me first. Like, put me first. Worship me as king, not your family as king. He continues on to talk about carrying your cross. And uh, I won't talk about this too long because we're already going late on time. But as, as I think about carrying your cross, he's saying, sacrifice everything for me. Sacrifice your life for me. Sacrifice not falling into that sin for me. Sacrifice daily so that you can continue to pursue me and our relationship together. Jesus hadn't been crucified yet, but as they're looking to the Roman crucifixion and Jesus says, carry your cross, take up your cross, he's saying, bear with me. Continue to walk in endurance with me. And Jesus, they, they would have known what the cross was, right? The Romans continually were crucifying people. It was a horrendous death to die, and they would have thought, man, only the worst of people get that. And that's a nasty death. And Jesus is saying, that's what I want you to do to your sin. Because I'm choosing something, I'm pointing you to something so much better. And as we look at this passage, Jesus is just reminding them to sacrifice daily for Jesus so that they could continue on reaching the rest of the world, reaching the rest of people that they see for the kingdom of God. And as we think about that here today, as we ponder about sacrificing our family relationships, our, our friends, our comfort, whatever it might be, we may not be uh, facing persecution, but Jesus is calling us to live uncomfortable lives. That might look like for some of us, God may may call you, may ask you, you may be presented with something where Jesus is saying, I want you to move across the globe to go reach a people group who you've never had any sort of relationship with in a language that you don't know so that you can tell them about me. He's asking you to potentially give that up. 
Jesus might be asking you if one day, hopefully, we're praying and asking God that we would be able to plant churches and send people to go plant elsewhere, whether it's Northwest Lincoln, Hickman, Tubuktu, uh, Kansas, wherever it is, Canada, I don't know. And we may ask you, would you consider going? Would you be willing to sacrifice your comfort in South Lincoln for Jesus? I have to ask myself that same question. Because I can, you know, try and use the excuse, well, I'm the pastor here, I, I need to stay here, kind of a thing. Jesus is asking me the same thing, and I, I need to be processing continually. Man, is, is God continuing to keep us here? Or is he asking us to go somewhere else? Am I willing to sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom? Am I willing to uproot my life for the sake of the kingdom? That's what Jesus is continuing to ask us to do. Hey, are we willing to choose him over everyone and everything else? He goes on to talk about these rewards, and, and he goes on to talk about, hey, acknowledging him and welcoming people in, and he says the word welcome like 20 different times, and it's really hard to read sometimes. But as you sit there and you, you process this whole thing, he says, welcome the righteous person, welcome the prophet, and, and if you welcome them in, if they receive you, yeah, then you get a reward. They get a reward even. And kind of think, what does that mean? Does that mean like they get a Lamborghini in heaven? Does that mean I get one? Like, how does that work? Well, what he's processing, a true welcome would mean that they would receive the message and the messenger. So as he talks about the cup of cold water, he's just simply saying, they've accepted you and they've offered you something, right? They've said, hey, I'm welcoming you into my house, not just so you can stay, but I'm actually, actually welcoming you to, to give me your message and I will receive it and I will believe it. And for that truth to actually hit them means that they're going from someone who didn't know Jesus, who had no relationship with Jesus, to saying no to sin and yes to the King of Kings. So they've actually, their reward is their relationship with Jesus, is receiving the gospel of Christ, is becoming a new adopted son or daughter in the King of Kings, the Lord of Lords, becoming a part of that family that we get to sing with for the rest of eternity. That's what Jesus is saying here. Anyone who welcomes you in will receive a reward. Why? Because they've received Jesus first and foremost, and he is everything that we ever need. And, and I love how he kind of ends this section in verse 42, that last phrase that he gives. Truly, I tell you, he will never lose his reward. Friends, Jesus has us in the palm of our hands, in the palm of his hands, not our. We can't hold ourselves, really. I don't know. But as, as we sit here and think about it, like Jesus has us. Whether we didn't endure for a little bit, we, we maybe cowered and backed away from a conversation, we have the encouragement of looking to the disciples, hey, Peter wasn't there when Jesus got crucified. Jesus still pursued him afterwards. No one was there except for John, like as you look at their life. But the reality is Jesus is calling us to put him before everything. He's saying, I am worth your welcome. He's saying, you can count your confidence in me. He's saying the price of proclamation is totally worth it because I am worth it. And eternity with him is completely worth it as we look to it. Friends, Jesus is not asking us to do something he's never done before. Jesus was persecuted so that we could hear the good news. He was beaten, flogged, imprisoned, mocked, scorned, hung on a cross so that he gave up his body. Also that we could have eternal life with him. What great joy is it that we can look to Jesus and see, man, he was a man who was made fun of by his family. He was called absolutely crazy by his own siblings. He, he stood before Jewish religious leaders, Pontius Pilate, all those people, so that he could acknowledge us before the Father. Jesus gave his life. He took up the cross so that we could find true life in him today. Our comfort may be gone here on earth, 
but God isn't. The Spirit of God dwells within us, and he's continuing to encourage us as we walk in this life. We may not experience some crazy beatings here on this side of, uh, here, here in South Lincoln, at least at this point anyway, but we have a God who's calling us to so much more in conversation, to get a little bit uncomfortable with family members, friends, neighbors, and to actually pursue Jesus in all of our life. He is completely worthy. He is uh, the one who continues to sustain us. He is worth the cost of comfort, friends. And he is the God and creator of this world that we get to just look to in salvation. So he's completely worthy. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you so much for how good you are. I thank you that you are a God who has come to save us, redeem us, sustain us, keep us, that you are a God who is here ever present with us today, that you indwell your people, that you are worthy of all worship and all praise. And God, uh, I just pray in our hearts today that you would bring us great courage in saying yes to you, that you would continue to remind us of the sparrows and the birds that we see here today, that we would be reminded of how beautiful it is that we get to look to them and see, man, my amazing God knows everything about those birds, and yet how much more does he love me? God, I pray that in the middle, in the deep depths of our heart, that we would be shaped to love you and to say yes to you over everything else in our lives, whether it's our comfort, whether it's proclamation to people, whether it's uh, inviting neighbors over, whatever it is, God, would we choose you over everything else? Would you help us fight our sin? Would you help us move towards people? Would you help us in conversation? Would you speak through us, God? And would we be able to see you do amazing things in the life of others? Uh, Lord, we love you. We pray this in your beautiful name. Amen.